Hello and welcome to the Jason podcast number three. My name is Josie Briggs and I'm the editor-in-chief of the journal. This is the third of our podcasts and the main goal of our podcasts is to talk about the wonderful science we are publishing. But a second goal is to introduce our listeners to some of the terrific uh, young scientists who are working with us. Jason Editors established a fellowship program about a year and a half ago, and we've had enormous benefit of working with adding to our team a number of early career scientists who are very much enlivening our discussions of the work we do. Today we are joined by Dr. Erin Barreto. She's an assistant professor at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, pharmacist scientist with a research program devoted to optimizing use of renally eliminated nephrotoxic medications in the acutely ill. But Erin has taken on a number of interesting assignments that have uh, moved her from her own primary research interests. And she was part of the oversight of the review of the paper we're going to talk about today. The lead author is Dr. Mahbub Rahman, and it will soon be published on Jason's website. The t- paper is titled Prognostic S- Significance of Ambulatory Blood Pressure Monitoring in Chronic Kidney Disease, a report from the Chronic Renal Insufficiency Cohort or Crick study. So, Dr. Rahman, we're also delighted to have you here with us today. So, without further preamble, let me turn this over to Dr. Barreto to get us started. Thank you so much, Dr. Briggs, and thank you to Dr. Rahman and all the listeners for being with us today. I think it's just great that Jason is doing these podcasts because it gives us a chance to get a first-person view at some of these articles that are so influential in the field. So the subject of today's conversation is going to be about blood pressure patterns that are detected with ambulatory blood pressure monitoring devices and the impact on outcomes for our CKD patients. So Dr. Raman, I just want to thank you for being here. And perhaps to get started, maybe do you want to just kind of set the stage for us about what's known in the field as we embark on trying to piece apart this study? Yes, thank you, Erin, and I'd like to thank Jason uh, for giving me this opportunity to, to talk about our study. So as Dr. Briggs uh, mentioned, uh, this paper is focused on ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. And uh, this is a technology that's been around for some time. It really focuses on out-of-office blood pressure measurements. There's been a lot of interest over the last few years in measuring blood pressure outside the clinician setting and seeing how that impacts in the management of hypertension. In patients without kidney disease, there's been a good amount of data that's accumulated over the years that measures that are derived from ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, such as the average blood pressure, such as mass hypertension, are associated with clinical outcomes in patients with hypertension. When we started this study several years back, it really wasn't known, it wasn't clear in patients with chronic kidney disease. Uh, what the value, what the prognostic value is of uh, ambulatory blood pressure monitoring in patients who have chronic kidney disease. So that was the background in which we started the study. Okay, that sounds good. So we found the pocket here in the kidney disease population where there are some persistent knowledge gaps. I guess you alluded to mass hypertension. I I know we're distinguishing the the in-visit versus um, 
at home monitoring. Can you just kind of uh, walk us through the different profiles or uh, phenotypes that were of interest in this study? Sure. So what we do when we get 24-hour blood pressure monitoring is we, we place a monitor and then we measure blood pressure uh, several times over the course of a 24-hour period. Typically, every 20 minutes to half an hour, a blood pressure reading is obtained. And there are many ways of looking at ambulatory blood pressure monitoring data. One is to calculate averages. So you calculate an average 24-hour blood pressure, and then you can break it down to daytime blood pressure and nighttime blood pressure. That's one way of looking at, at ambulatory blood pressure data. A second way is, is comparing day to night. Uh, so what is the change that's happening to blood pressure between daytime and nighttime? You know, some people call it the dipping profile, or more commonly these days, the change in, in blood pressure, nighttime blood pressure per se. A third way of looking at ambulatory blood pressure monitoring is comparing it uh, with the blood pressure that you got in the, in the clinician's office. So, for example, there might be a group of patients in whom blood pressure is controlled, both on ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and uh, in, in the clinician's office. Uh, that's what we define as controlled blood pressure. There's another group of patients in whom blood pressure is uncontrolled, both uh, in the uh, bioambulatory blood pressure monitoring and in the clinic, and that's the group that we define as having uncontrolled hypertension. Now, there can be discordance in, in two settings. Uh, one is where blood pressure is high in the office, but it's normal by 24-hour blood pressure monitoring. That's what we call white coat hypertension. And the converse, where blood pressure is normal in the office, but high outside the office, and that's what we define as mass hypertension. So these are the several ways that we analyze data from 24-hour blood pressure monitoring in our paper. Okay, that's perfect. That gives us a sense for kind of the grouping that we're going to see these patients falling into in your analyses. When we, when we look at your paper, we're going to read about the CRIC study. And I'm not sure if everybody's as familiar with it as you are, so I was hoping maybe we could just walk through for our listeners what the CRIC study is all about, and maybe you could uh, discuss some of the, the real benefits of it and any limitations you're, you feel comfortable uh, noting. Sure. So the chronic renal insufficiency cohort, or the CRIC study, uh, is an observational study of patients with kidney disease that was established by the NIDDK in 2003. Uh, so it's been ongoing for a, for a fairly long time now. It's an observational study uh, in which patients are seen uh, once a year. We talk to them uh, every six months, and they've been followed over a long period of time. Uh, the, your audience may be familiar with the Framingham Heart Study, which is an observational cohort study that many people are familiar with that's really laid down the, the basics of cardiovascular epidemiology. In many ways, CRIC is, is uh, really the kidney version uh, of, of the Framingham uh, study in the sense that it focuses on patients with chronic kidney disease. Uh, the advantages of a study like these are there's a lot of uh, infrastructure, so to speak, that comes with it, uh, and the patients are very well characterized. We know a lot about the clinical characteristics of these patients. We have a lot of biochemical information. Most importantly, we know how people do over time. Uh, so we have a lot of information about outcomes that happen th in these patients. A lot of work goes into collecting uh, hospitalizations, for example, defining very rigorously whether a myocardial infarction or a stroke happened, 
uh, and then the, the data is connected with the US RDS, which allows us to ascertain if end-stage renal disease happens. So there's a lot of inbuilt strengths uh, of, of, of a cohort, such as the Crick study, that allows us to, to, uh, to analyze a, a particular exposure of interest to us, which in this case is ambulatory blood pressure monitoring in the context of a very well-characterized and carefully followed population. Uh, like any other study, like any other cohorts, there are limitations. Uh, uh, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is that the Crick study was uh, it's conducted mostly at academic medical centers. These are often patients who are followed within the academic medical centers or, or in, in the surrounding areas. So it's not really a population-based cohort, for example, like NHANES would be or, or other large CDC-based uh, cohorts would be. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Fantastic. Well, I know uh, the readers will be excited to see you had a pretty huge study. I mean, you had 1,500 patients that had CKD, and because you had the Crick sample, you were able to follow them for, I think, about seven years. So it certainly, certainly looks like we have an opportunity to explore this exposure and outcome in, in great detail with this resource. Do you want to maybe take an opportunity now to kind of give us the highlight reel and Tell us what some of the big findings in your study were. Yes, uh, so really I think the most important finding is that uh, you know the blood pressure metrics that we derived from ambulatory blood pressure monitoring uh, were independently associated with many clinical outcomes. When I say independently, I mean taking into account office blood pressure. So if you statistically adjust for office blood pressure, ambulatory blood pressure monitoring still was, uh, was significantly associated with the number of clinical outcomes. A uh, bit more in detail, uh, we found that the mean 24-hour systolic blood pressure uh, so the higher your mean 24-hour systolic blood pressure, the higher the risk of developing cardiovascular disease, the kidney outcome, and also mortality. Uh, we, we talked about a little bit about mast hypertension earlier. What we found was that uh, participants who had mast hypertension were at higher risk, uh, almost 50% higher risk of developing the cardiovascular outcome, and almost 70, 70 a little bit more than 70% higher risk of developing the kidney outcome. Uh, similarly, patients who had what we call the reverse dipper profile, uh, and, and what I mean is that patients who had a higher blood pressure at night than during the day were at higher risk of developing the kidney outcome. Uh, so we found that uh, metrics that derive from ambulatory blood pressure monitoring allowed us, uh, there were associations between these measures and many clinical outcomes independent of uh, office blood pressure. Now, I think... Um... I think this is super interesting. Can you give us a sense for what you feel maybe the explanation for some of these findings are? You know, I think the reverse dipper is an example. It's a really interesting finding. Do you have a sense? I know this is just an association uh, right now with epidemiologic studies, but can you can you give us your impression about why we might be seeing this in our uh, kidney disease patients? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Uh, so we know from previous studies uh, and from some of our own work that uh, you know uh, the patterns of blood pressure are different in patients with kidney disease than they are in, in patients with essential hypertension. Uh, one of the key features is the blood, what happens to blood pressure at night. You know, interestingly, um, if you look at patients with the, with the kidney disease, they're more likely to have nocturnal hypertension, higher blood pressure at night. Uh, and that's really what the reverse dipper profile uh, represents, that you know, the blood pressure in, in, in the normal setting often goes down at night. In, the, in, the, in these particular patients, not only does it not go down, it actually goes up. 
And there are many reasons that, that are underlying this from a physiologic basis that, that look at uh, mechanisms of, of salt handling, they look at the uh, sympathetic uh, activation that sort of underlie this. So in, in a sense, I think we are looking at a, a, a more severe burden of hypertension perhaps uh, uh, that's contributing to the higher risk that, that, that these profiles uh, signify. And 24-hour blood pressure you know, really gives you a much broader measure of the burden of hypertension rather than blood pressure at one point in time in the physician's office. Uh, I think uh, uh, you know, the, what we are seeing with 24-hour blood pressure is a very a much more granular look at, at the blood pressure burden over, over a 24-hour period of time. I think that that increases the, the value of, of, of blood pressure and, and is able to demonstrate associations that we are seeing. That's so interesting. I think it gets back really to the million-dollar question with these data, which is kind of, I know this isn't the, the point of the study, but the natural extension certainly is what do we do with our patients? You know, should we be recommending or prescribing ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and using it to inform treatment decisions? And I'm just very interested in your thoughts on that because I know that there are challenges certainly with the ability to actually get this done, put maybe reimbursement or other issues like that. Do you want to give us your sense for really what you think the potential benefits or um, risks of doing this are in, in actual patient-level decision-making? Yeah, again, a very good uh, question. Uh, so I, I think the the use of 24-hour blood pressure monitoring in clinical practice has grown over the years, albeit slower than, than we would have expected, you know, based uh, on the data. Uh, so the most recent uh, American Heart Association and ACC guidelines on hypertension do talk, do give great prominence to out-of-office uh, blood pressure measurement as measured by either 24-hour blood pressure or home blood pressure. Uh, I think the next step, uh, I think, in, in moving these data forward uh, to, the, to the clinical arena, uh, really looking at individual patient level you know, predictive value. What I mean is, uh, let's say that we, have, we know, uh, you know a certain amount of clinical information about a given patient, and then we add data that we derive from ambulatory blood pressure monitoring and then look at the added predictive value that, that we would get. I think that would that would be the next step that would move these type of data forward uh, in actually implementing in clinical practice. So what we've looked at in this in this particular paper is really more of a group level associations and we demonstrate that's an important first step, but the next step is to take it to the individual uh, patient. You talked a little bit about reimbursement. I think that's an important uh, point in, in practice. Uh, uh, for a long time, 24-hour blood pressure monitoring was a, was a really limited to white coat hypertension that was approved by by CMS. It's important for your for your viewers to know that uh, uh, in the recent past, over the last year or a couple of years, CMS has also included mass hypertension as an entity that that 24-hour blood pressure monitoring will be covered for. Uh, so use is increasing uh, uh, of 24-hour blood pressure monitoring, uh, and it's also important to note that home blood pressure monitoring is really becoming more and more an integral part of, of hypertension management. Uh, so really the concept of using blood pressure outside the office is, uh, is becoming really part of hypertension management uh, these days. Thank you so much. I think that, I think that it really remains uh, a great question about you know, how often we would be surprised and uh, what we would do with that information. Dr. Briggs, I know this is something that you had um, some thoughts on as well as you were kind of reading through this paper. Anything you'd like to add to that? No, it's been a fabulous discussion uh, and it really is an important topic. 
uh, I think we're we're all learning so much from the Crick study in more granular description of the chronic disease patient. I was very intrigued by your comment, Dr. Raman, that individual uh, level analyses are the next step and turning uh, the observations at group level into a, a kind of predictive algorithm that could be applied at the individual level to right. determine in whom this uh, kind of analysis is going to give added um, added information. Certainly one, one question that will need to be addressed is uh, there's clearly growing recognition that home blood pressure management is a crucial part of the management of the hypertensive patient. And so what, uh, when is home blood pressure monitoring enough? Uh, and when does ambulatory blood pressure add uh, new insights? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, again, a really important uh, question. So if you think about uh, home blood pressure monitoring, it's clearly easier to do on a patient. It's it's much less uh, in terms of cost, uh, and therefore we've been seeing really a large increase in use of appropriately so of home blood pressure monitoring. Now, whether the concepts that I described of masked hypertension are similar when measured by home blood pressure versus ambulatory blood pressure is still an area of some discussion of some ongoing research. And there have been some papers that have recently looked at uh, at this. Uh, an important difference that the, the listeners should remember is that home blood pressure typically, as is done, does not measure nighttime blood pressure. You typically measure home blood pressure during the day, whereas uh, typically when you do a 24-hour blood pressure monitoring, you get both readings both at, at home at, at uh, uh, during the day and, uh, and night. So I think that's an area of ongoing research. Uh, so I, I would uh, uh, summarize that both uh, uh, home blood pressure monitoring and 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring are important tools uh, that the clinicians has in better understanding uh, the, the overall burden of hypertension in their patient. Yes, thank you. And of course, home blood pressure monitoring engages the patient in their own care. So I, I think uh, it it is going to remain a, a crucial part. And ambulatory blood pressure is an adjunct, not, not a substitute. Well, thank you both for a lively discussion and for an interesting paper. This will soon appear on Jason's website. We hope our listeners will find delving into the paper of value. Thank you both. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.